At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is M.I.P. With Masamela Matfumal. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, we are happy to be joined here in Make It Plain in our studios in Times Square today by someone you most likely have heard of, heard about, and hopefully have already begun listening to. As you all know, we are a part, Make It Plain, a part of DCP Entertainment, along with uh, Woke AF with Daniel Moody Mills and The Teray Show. Uh, and all of these great shows, we have a new member of the family. She hosts Tigress, and she is Nadia Okamoto. Did That's I say it. right? Yeah. Okay, wonderful. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine. Welcome to Make a Plan, and welcome Thank to DCP. You. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's a very unexpected but exciting journey. Unexpected? Unexpected in the way I actually very impulsively created this podcast, I originally was journaling as a kid, Mm -hmm. and then a few months ago, when work got crazy, I was like, I'm going to do audio files on voice memos as a diary, and then I stopped doing it, and I thought I'd just post them to hold myself accountable of doing it, and I didn't really think anybody would listen, and here we are. And people are listening. (laughs) And people are listening, and I really, it's like, Tigris as a podcast is really, I get on, and for 20, 30 minutes, I just bend. Right, right. You know? I, I felt the same way, having been in, in radio all my life. I just didn't know a lot about podcasts. Yeah. But people really love to listen to podcasts more than anything else. And I told everybody, if I had known that was the case, we would have left radio 10, 15 years ago and started a podcast. And you have a lot to share. You have an exceptional story. And I want to start here, though, because what you are really known for is being an advocate uh, for women and education around menstruation uh, and confronting the tampon tax. Tell us about all of that. Yeah. And, and men, pay attention. It's time for us to grow up and stop being silly and learn some of this kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff and support women, okay? Go ahead. Well, um, well, now I'm focusing on my company, August, which is a lifestyle period brand. But I have been working in the period space for several years now. I started a nonprofit when I was 16 called Period that was really focused on ending period poverty through direct service, so distributing millions of period products to people who need them, Um, also doing the legislative advocacy, so trying to take down the tampon tax, trying to get food stamps to cover period products, and then just doing overall campaigns, trying to get people to talk about menstruation, right? Like the fact that you as a man of a generation above me, uh, you know, can talk about menstruation on, you know, 
on a podcast or even on radio is something that is like extremely recent, right? Like periods have historically not been something we talk about openly. And that was really where my passion was, was let's kind of demystify this very biological part of human life that makes human life possible. Um, I wrote a book about it called Period Power that came out a couple of years ago um, and graduated from college a few months ago and raised my seed round and started this company. So, yeah. So for those who don't know, uh, explain the tampon text. So when I started this work in 2014, it was in 40 states. Now it's in about 30. Mm -hmm. But at the time, 40 states in the U.S. had a sales tax on period products, considering them non-essential goods. Meanwhile, products like Rogaine and Viagra were considered medical necessities and so don't have that tax. And basically, like, to me, the tampon tax is not going to fix period poverty, right? It's not going to fix the problem that homeless and low-income menstruators don't have access to period products. But I do think that it is a legislative goal that we need to fight. And it's like a Trojan horse to be like, our system, our legal system, identifies period products as luxury items, like literally luxury items. Mm. But hair growth and erections for older cis men is considered a medical necessity. And that is just like absolutely ridiculous. And that's obviously because for most of our nation's history, men have made all the policy decisions and influenced all the laws. That's why we need more women in elected office and more women policymakers, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's for a lot of reasons. I also think there, because menstruation is like this thing that over half the global population will experience, and yet it's like not talked about, right? Like to the point where like today or every single day for the last few weeks, I've been making a lot of TikTok videos and talking about how like as someone with a uterus, I have three holes, like I have three holes down there. Mm -hmm. And like so many grown women do not know that. Like the anatomy sex ed in our education system is not taught and then like even talking about periods like did you know that you can't hold period blood no i didn't know that exactly like it's actually something very common where people are like well why do you need period products in restrooms you can just hold it like when you need to pee like you just hold it and you can't do that like pee and poo you can hold in for a little bit period blood you cannot right right? right. and so it's these it's i think that because menstruation is so stigmatized yes because of the patriarchy and yes because men are the ones who don't get their periods who are in power but at the same time i also think it's we as menstruators have been conditioned that this is not something i talk about openly right there are some women who are very offended that i talk about it openly because they feel personally attacked that i'm exposing this big secret that's got to be generational too, though. or is it? Do young women feel that way sometimes? No, I mean, I think, I think that like any societal stigma, like uh, I think it generationally, you could say it's stronger, right? Because okay. someone who is in their fifties has spent the last forty years being indoctrinated by society that this is shameful. Versus, I can talk to a six-year-old and like they don't even know what periods are, so the first interaction about menstruation is more open, right? right. Similar to mental health, right? Mental health, mental health, talking about gender. I think like something generational. I've been thinking a lot about is also just like the conversation around gender like I never say feminine hygiene or feminine products Mm -hmm. because people who are trans or non-binary can also experience menstruation right so for us we say menstruator and there are people who are of a different generation who've never heard this term before and the idea that someone who's not a woman who can get a period is preposterous Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so I think it is generational in the fact that like I am part of, I'm the older end of a generation that is really questioning gender as a social construct. It, it says a lot about our society over time that this has always had such a stigma. Uh, I never understood it even as a kid. 
you know, wh- what is the big deal? And being in a family of women and being raised by women, it just, it just, it just was what it was. And they weren't, they didn't feel very stigmatized about it either. Uh, but it's amazing that even in this day and age, people just can't get over it. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty crazy. I mean, I think another thing is like now what I'm doing right now is really working on the products, right? Because it's such a like necessary part of our bodies and a part of like humans being able to procreate. And yet the period products that we use are like not really innovated upon, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The tampons that we're using today are not truly dissimilar from what uh, you know, a cis white young dude made in the 1930s, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of it is these products should be better, this experience should be better, and we should talk about periods openly. And it's not just period blood, it's you're constantly menstruating, you're on a menstrual cycle, right? And how intersectional the issue is, right? Even around period pain, right? Black women are three times more likely to have uterine fibroids, which yeah. causes heavy bleeding and very, very painful periods. There hasn't been enough research been done about it. And because the you know medical care system doesn't know enough about it, it's very underdiagnosed. And so I think that when we talk about periods, like I get schooled every single day about how intersectional this issue is. More MIP after this message. So you said a couple of things. Uh, innovations in, in, in the product industry. Is that happening? Are you helping to make that happen? Is August taking that on? Yeah, we're trying to. I think a lot of what our goal was in creating this, these products is how do we meet people with what, where they're at, right? They're using, right. most people are using tampons and pads. And how do we make it better, right? Make it more comfortable, make it softer, more sustainable. Um, while most period products, like the average pad, takes 500 to 800 years to decompose because of all the plastic in them. It has enough plastic for about three to five plastic bags. Our pads are um, plastic-free, fully biodegradable within six to 12 months, um, tax-free, carbon-neutral in the supply chain. Um, And so I think a big part of our goal is like, the more we talk about periods, the more we can push the overall industry to be better, right? But another thing is like, it is, I'm surprised every single day by how much fear there is from young women about getting their periods and young menstruators, Mm. right? Because it's not talked about. Like you as a young person are talking, or not you specifically, but like someone as a young person is talking. You call me a young person. You're a young person told like, (laughs) at some point you're gonna start having blood come out of your vagina every single month Mm -hmm. and it's just gonna happen and here's like a wad of cotton to catch it with you know Mm. and so there's like all this all these questions and I think being on TikTok now to like a new level of virality over the last few weeks like I've been doing this work for six years like speaking and everything about it every single day I'm surprised by how strong the stigma is yeah yeah that is a strong stigma now you also mentioned uh, in in the medical field and, and research and treatment um do you see that beginning to change at all, or is that still kind of stagnant? I think everything, it's a very exciting space to be in because everything is changing. Okay. It might not be changing super quickly, but I think that, you know, as much as I hate social media and like social media causes so many issues and um, like a body image, and it's been a huge issue with my own mental health, social media is this very powerful tool, right? Where it's like now I'm not screaming into a void, I'm screaming to a social media void, but mm-hmm. that affects many people, right? And so I think that there is progress that is happening. Um, and I think that what I hope we can do is just make sure that we're not 
kind of doing the slacktivist thing of like just posting on social media and then like not doing anything about it. But I think for me, like resistance and fighting for the stigmas or any stigma has always been talk about it, but then back it up with actions and tangible metrics. So we really know that we are making progress and we can track that progress is being made. And you on TikTok have been actively um, educating menstruators, correct? You've been showing people. Only for a few months. <laughs> yeah, I like. How's that going? It's, it's kind of crazy. Like we've across our platforms been getting like five to 10,000 followers a day okay. organically. Um, and, you know, I was asked this morning, like what decisions were made until I got felt comfortable posting my period blood on TikTok. And it's super interesting because I've again, I my career has been in periods for almost six years, no, seven years. Um, and I'm 23 now. And yet I never felt comfortable showing my period blood until a few months ago. Really? Yeah. And now I like, like before I came here, I was on the subway editing a TikTok and I posted it of my period blood to be like, yeah, period blood can be brown. And I honestly don't really know why I suddenly feel comfortable with it. I think it's like for six years, I wake up every day and I have hundreds of messages from strangers who are like scared and yeah. nervous yeah. and confused and think they're dying in internal bleeding. And, you know, I can say period blood can be brown and then they're imagining shit, right? And so, like, I think so much of what it finally got to was like, oh, my gosh, I might as well just show it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. surprisingly, TikTok sometimes takes it down, but I just keep posting it until they leave it up. They take it down? Yeah. Because wow. it's considered violent and graphic content. Yeah, that's why it's really interesting. I think that, like, as a company, right, so we... As a direct-to-consumer company, we raised $2 million for our seed round. And a lot of direct-to-consumer companies raise money in order to do performance marketing. And I think what makes August different is that we don't have the option to throw money at paid ads because ads are not allowed to run when they show period blood. Wow. Yeah. 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 So then it's That's like... Right. You don't see that. Yeah. And it's like this whole, whole thing. So we have to work extra hard to make organic content and make our like audience genuinely excited about what we're doing and so now again you've been in this movement what six or seven years you said yeah for seven years yeah so what happened seven years ago to inspire you to to for this to be your calling well you know when i was a freshman in high school like age 16 my mom parted ways with her job and my family experienced housing instability for about a year and at that point we were living with friends and I just started interacting a lot more with homeless women, like to and mm. from school, mm. um, where I changed buses, was right in front of this area in downtown Portland that was like a lot of homeless women. And because we didn't have like social media and smartphones, like all I could do when I was spending hours a day sitting at this bus stop was like talk to the people around me. And so I like low-key just became friends with these homeless women and periods just started coming up in conversation. Like hearing about that this was something that was unaddressed, uh, a huge part of their discomfort, something that wasn't provided by shelters. And I think because at the time my family was experiencing housing instability, I was already kind of obsessing over this idea of like privilege. And, you know, at school, I was a scholarship kid at the pri this private school. I was always like, I'm in the worst situation. Why am I in this situation? This is so ridiculous. And like my family has like extreme, like we have nothing. This is so awful. And then meeting these women where it was like recognizing my own privilege of even when my family was experiencing housing instability, I never had to use trash to take care of my periods. And here I was meeting women that for years have had to use um, toilet paper, socks, brown paper, grocery bags, cardboard to take care of their periods, plastic bags, like these things that I would have never imagined using for a period. 
And here I am as the oldest of three girls in a single mother household, so open about periods and had never thought about period poverty. And I think that that reaction was just like so angering to me. And I experience it every day, right? People who have been menstruating for their whole lives or past menstruating age, and they hear about period poverty and they're like, hmm, I've never thought about it, mm -hmm. right? Because when we think about poverty and we think about not being able to afford access or what you're gonna donate over the holidays, we think of canned goods, shelter, socks, clothing, and toothbrushes we like don't think about period products and it links back to the stigma right if we don't talk about periods it's kind of this secret that people then we think nobody menstruates right and then it's just like oh okay like it's not really something we're gonna think about right we don't think about periods and then we sit in these rooms like even the room we're sitting in and the majority of people in this room like to you know take a risk and make assumptions the majority of people have experienced menstruation mm -hmm. in this room mm -hmm. and yet have we talked about it openly not really, but we've talked about headaches and maybe other natural things. More MIP after this message. Period poverty, though, to be clear, I think it's an important for people to understand that does not necessarily accompany homelessness only. Correct. No, so yeah. Explain the moment so people understand what you really mean by period poverty and how. Yeah. So I would define period poverty as simply not being able to afford period products, right? So anybody who is experiencing, you know, not being able to afford basic necessities is probably experiencing period poverty, right? That means if you're having to choose between how you're going to spend $20 a month, right? When $20 can be multiple meals or period products, that is period poverty, right? There was a national study done last year that found that 25% of teens had experienced not being able to afford access to period products, right? This is a cause of absenteeism for young menstruators in school and not being able to fully participate. Mm -hmm. um, the first citywide study done on period poverty in St. Louis found that 46% of low-income women had to choose between a meal and period products, right? So again, food stamps don't cover period products, but again, food stamps are for people who are under the poverty line experiencing just not being able to afford basic things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's, um, that's very important. Um, it, it's interesting, most of us who are men who know very little about this and don't want to know because, you know, we can be kind of boneheaded at times. But we think, Nadia, that we think our experience or our knowledge is complete when uh, a significant other asks us to go to the store for them. And most of us are afraid to do that. Oh, I, you know, just freak out. You don't want to stand in line yeah. holding these products and you freak out. But then once you get over and do it, I'm a real man now. I know everything about <laughs> menstruation and periods. But gentlemen, what Nadia is educating us about, that is not enough and that is not true. There's much more to this. And we have to do something about this stigma. Now, on the show, you deal with other issues as well, mental health issues and, and whatnot. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, Tigress is actually a podcast where I don't really talk about periods so much. Okay. Mostly because, again, the origin of this podcast was like my diary, where, you know, I'm a recovering insomniac and workaholic. And I don't mean like workaholic, like, you know, oh, all grind, you know, work hard, party hard. Like, not that. Meaning like workaholic, like I was have been chronically constipated like because I thought going to the bathroom was a waste of time because I wanted to send more emails like truly <laughs> bad um and so for me Tigress is honestly like where I'm talking about you know trying to really heal through trauma and do a lot of like my own unlearning and learning 
And I think it's kind of a risk, but like a risk I'm wanting to take around inviting like my following to hold me accountable for that growth too. You know, I think um, a lot of why I was passionate about periods was I think it represented like society putting shame on me for being like someone with a uterus and because of the body that I'm in. And while I, I don't think I realized it then, I think that why I had this fiery passion for it is that that kind of comparison really lined up with the shame that I felt imposed on me because I was a sexual assault survivor, Mm -hmm. that I was a domestic abuse survivor. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, like, I'm so passionate about my work and where I have to be wary is that I'm so passionate about it, not only because of periods, but because the idea of like ridding myself of shame, saying fuck society and fuck like this, you know, patriarchy on me is very, very much aligned with a lot of the anger and frustration I feel from my trauma. And I think that a lot of what I try to do on Tigris is like kind of be super open about that um, and also be super open about like, you know, I think 2020 especially, uh, the whole country and the whole world was kind of having this uh, very overdue um, cultural reckoning with the like discrimination, racism, um, you know, throughout our history. And I think that I'm very much at the beginning of my own understanding of like what it means to be an Asian American queer woman today. Yeah. And that's kind of what Tigris is about. I also have like diagnosed with PTSD and borderline personality disorder. And I think that a lot of these like acronyms that are my diagnosis are often equated to some by the mental health stigma as someone who can't hold a job, can't be in a loving relationship, um, can't be a good friend, can't be a boss, right? And here I am as a venture-backed founder in like a stable relationship. And I think that I often get asked like, how do I do it, right? Like, how can I be someone who was sexually abused younger and now being like comfortable in my body? Mm -hmm. And I feel like part of my responsibility because I had access to therapy and all these different treatments is to kind of talk about that. And, And all that you articulated there, sexual assault, domestic violence, uh, PTSD, all of those experiences you had, most people don't have a space in which they can talk about that and express themselves or even listen to someone else who's had those experiences. So that's a very important conversation you have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great privilege to have a platform like this, right? Like, I think everybody has a different story and, like, the fact that, I mean, the fact that even it's like kind of an incredible opportunity even recognizing you know you as someone who for decades your job has been to speak your mind and you get paid for it right like that's incredible and I think that I really feel the weight of that responsibility and I think you know when I've hit depressive lows of course I've always thought well maybe I just shouldn't do this right like part of part part of trying to fight the status quo is I'm not I'm not my work isn't working unless I'm getting pushback, right? Because then I'm just talking to a bunch of people who already agree with me, right? right? right, right. Inherently making change is talking to people who disagree with you and who will push back against you and who want you to be different and who don't like who you are. And so every now and then I'm like, maybe I should just like be a hermit. Maybe I'll be a stay-at-home mom, like trophy wife. Like I'm attractive (laughs) enough conventionally to do that. And then I'm like, well, no, it's like a responsibility that I have this platform. Like this is kind of, you know, something that I don't want to take for granted. And I want to use it for something that, you know, selfishly is going to help me heal, but also is hopefully going to reach someone out there who might be feeling like they're stuck. No, take it from me. You are reaching people. You may never meet them, but you still reach people that, that you might not realize or, or even expect. Um, you've got a lot on your plate. 
but what what do you think about your future? What is it that have you fantasized about where you ultimately would like to be, like to end up, what you most like to do going forward? It's really I get asked this all the time. Most people are like, "Are you going to run for office?" Like that's the you question. You did I, once though. Didn't I you? did run okay. for office, yeah. Right. So no, I'm not going to run again. <laughs> um, not at all. But it's so interesting because I never actually think about what I want to be in the world, but I do, like honestly, I think a lot about like what my goal is for society and then like kind of what I would do fits into that, right? Like if you asked me two years ago if I would be running a for-profit period company, I would have never believed you because I was like all nonprofit advocacy. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think I got really disillusioned by like the nonprofit industrial complex. Mm. And the more I learned in my academic life about capitalism and, you know, social impact and globalization, the more I really believed in socially conscious business, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I think I'm very passionate around period, period poverty and addressing it. And I've actually, I, I want to kind of talk about it on the podcast today, but like every day I have this, like, am I, did I find my purpose? Am I doing what I'm doing? And then I realized like, I actually think I am because I can talk about periods nonstop all day for seven years and I'm not bored. Like I'm so excited. I get so <laughs> angry about it still. I'm with so much, you know, passion for it. And to me, like, I would love in my lifetime to see no more tampon tax. I would love like more sustainable period care. Um, you know, reproductive rights is something I'm really passionate about. Um, the other kind of personal goal that I have is I recently um, met my grandparents for the first time after 14 years. And I found out that I have like dozens of cousins wow. in the US that I've never heard about or met. Wow. And so actually rather than my career goals, I've been thinking a lot more about like trying to find my fan, like these family members. Yeah, that's beautiful. that's beautiful. I just had no idea I had all these cousins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, that, that's, that's great. That's great. Well, what you're doing is an exceptional and a necessary calling. Uh, Tigress. Yes. The name, how'd you, is, are you? Oh, yeah. So it's really interesting. I don't, I have not actually gotten asked this. So Tigress to me is like, a word that I've always told myself because a lot of the stereotypes around Asian women is like being a tiger mom, right? If you ever heard like that, I just feel like it's one of the most prominent stereotypes of being like all academics and like not really personality or individuality, but this kind of conventional like model minority myth. And I always hated that so much. And to me, tigress is like my rebellion against that to be like, to me, Tigress is just like a hot name. Yeah. <laughs> I also like, I feel like I discovered a lot of my sexuality um, through watching Kung Fu Panda. And my favorite character was Tigress, which is Angelina Jolie's character in that. And I just like really loved Tigress. Like she was always like, I wanted to, she was so hot and strong and sexy and honest. And then I was like, mm, that's me. Okay. You're going to do <laughs> You 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 gonna talk about that on your show? How you find your sexuality through Kung Fu Panda? I think people. Uh, yeah, I haven't talked about that. Yet. Okay. <laughs> Heard it here first. <laughs> That's great. That's great, folks. Um, we welcome officially. She's been with us already as a member of the family, but we officially welcome her uh, to the DCP Entertainment family. Check it out wherever you get your podcast. You know where you get them because you're listening to this one right here. Tigress, uh, Nadia Okamoto. Thank you so much for being here with us. Congratulations on all you're doing. And Thank again, that, that's, an, that's an exceptional calling. And it has to be done. If, if you didn't do it, who would? So You. Well, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, but in that vein, I'm in solidarity with everything you're doing. So anything I can do to be supportive, let me know. I don't just talk on radio. I, I try to organize and be an activist, too. 
uh, it competes with being on the podcast sometimes, but you know, sometimes we have to get out in the streets. So let yeah. us know what we can do, okay? Thank you so much. Everybody check out Tigress on DCP Entertainment. Thank you, Nadia. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.